0: Hey and Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Santemeyer and I will be your host. Each episode, I will be having a transparent conversation with people who care about you and desire for you to be healthy, resilient, and confident in your life and as you pursue your mission. I know that one of the biggest roadblocks to health, resilience, and confidence is lack of clarity. I believe the transparent conversations we will be having in the Stories we will be hearing will be invaluable for both you and I. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with the General Secretary of the Assemblies of God, Pastor Donna Barrett. Pastor Donna is, you'll gather really quickly, highly intelligent, very engaging, very down to earth. I really enjoyed the interview time with her, learning how she puts things in place in leadership and self leadership, and how she's developing in that area. That is the growth area we will be focusing on in this interview go into a little bit about the book that she had released last summer. Very interesting book that I think will pique your interest. And we just, it's a broad ranging interview. We talk about some different aspects of ministry. We talk about her ministry before she took this leadership on the executive council. We also talk about normalcy and, you know, she's also the first female leader on the executive level. And she's also the first single on the executive level. And it was just very interesting for me to sit down with her. And she shares, you know, that she longs for the day where that is not how she's introduced, but rather that if something becomes norm, that we have people of di- diversity on our executive leadership, and we're seeing that more and more. But in leadership at all levels, that it's not just a certain demographic that is commonly represented. And so, very interesting time with her. I think you'll find it valuable. I think you're probably going to want to take notes. I say that every time, but there is some very key points. She does point us to some resources that I think will be valuable, and talking about some relational intelligence areas that I think you'll you'll find insightful so there's no time better than now to get started so here we go Well, it's so exciting to be here today with Pastor Donna Barrett and on the Clarity Podcast, where we look to find clarity in the midst of ambiguity in our life and in our mission. Pastor Donna, we're so excited to have you with us today. Could you share a little bit? Most of the listeners know who you are because you're one of our major leaders, but maybe there's some listeners that do not know as much about you. Could you share a little bit about your story and how you're serving in the Assemblies of God today?
1: Yeah. Hi, Erin. It's a privilege to be with you. And boy, I love technology that lets us just bridge the miles across the ocean. it's a joy to be with you. I have the privilege right now, my assignment from the Lord is to serve as the General Secretary for the Assemblies of God. So six of us make up the Executive Leadership Team together with our Superintendent, the Assistant Superintendent, the General Treasurer, the General Secretary, myself, and then our Assembly of God World Missions Director, Greg Mundus, and our Assemblies of God U.S. Missions Malcolm Burleigh. So I've been here for about 20 months in this assignment. Prior to that, I was a pastor for 33 years in Ohio. I served in a law office as a paralegal for seven years. Then I was a youth pastor for 10 years at Highway Tabernacle in Youngstown, Ohio. And then an associate pastor for seven years at Bethel Temple in Parma, Ohio, which is in the Cleveland area. That church helped me plant a church, Rockside Church, in a suburb of Cleveland. And I pastored there for about 15 years before coming to Springfield, Missouri to work in the national office.
0: That's exciting. Can you tell us just a little bit about that transition from being a pastor to the national office?
1: Yeah, everything I do is different. (laughs) (laughs) It's like turning your world upside down. (laughs) Some of the things that are similar is that we're always pastoring people. In this setting, I'm more in touch with district secretaries and district superintendents. Instead of preaching to the same congregation every week, I'm now public speaking out in uh, traveling opportunities. So I still get to speak. I still get to pastor people. And our office pretty much counts things and signs things uh, okay. here in the office. We steward the 38,000 credentials that are held by our ministers across the nation and around the world. And then we charter churches and we have 13,000 churches that we steward. So it's a very different role, but it's still a part of the body of Christ. And I liken it to the skeleton of the body. We are the structure so that the other parts can affix themselves to it and keep us legal and structured and well cared for.
0: That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, our focus today is leadership intelligence and to help our listeners grow in the area of leadership intelligence. So I'm so excited to to spend some time and learn from your wisdom, your insight, and your experience. And I'm excited and I'm sure our listeners are too. Normally we begin the podcast with a question based off of a learning experience you've had, investing in the emotional and spiritual life of people. We found that people learn more from people's challenges and the things they've overcome rather than all their victories. And so- In your years of pastoring and now in this new role, what have you found that's given you clarity as you invest in the emotional and spiritual lives of others?
1: Yeah, one of the tools that I had access to that really has helped me a lot is life coach training. As a pastor over the years, sometimes you just learn on the job training and you fumble your way through and there's not a whole lot of schooling for the things we do, no matter how much academic education you get. And I found life coaching to be different than counseling in that counseling is sharing with someone else what you know that they need. And it's different than mentoring, which is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. But life coaching is powerful questioning that draws out the answer from the coaching client. And I really enjoyed taking that training and kind of use those skills now. And it's something I wish I had when I was starting out in pastoral ministry, because it's such a good skill that really works well in any setting. Um, another skill is relational wisdom there's a website called rw360.org it's okay. devised by Ken Sandy, who was a lawyer before he uh, organized peacemakers and then relational wisdom. And that's also a tool that's been very helpful to me in the church world just to learn relational wisdom. It's kind of like emotional intelligence plus adding the God factor is how it's described.
0: That is very interesting. I've never heard of that, a relational wisdom. Can you go just a little bit deeper on that? You said it's the God factor plus emotional intelligence. Is Could you go just a little bit deeper on that for us?
1: Sure. There's actually a website on your phone called RW360 that you can get an app on your phone. And then the website unpacks it a little bit more. But to give you a bird's eye view of it, think about six legs of a table. And the six legs are being self-aware and then Mm self-engaged, being others-aware and then others-engaged, and then God-aware and God-engaged. That's the overview of it. And if we practice those six steps, it usually helps us through it can I give you a quick example?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So a young student was getting ready to go on a short-term missions trip. And, you know, she said, I'm dating this guy. We're both going on the trip. I want to break it off before we go so that we can just go as colleagues. So the relational wisdom coach said, well, how do you plan to do that? Well, I'm going to send him a text message and tell him it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: He was asked, well, what's going on inside of you that causes you to want to Push that hard, but I just want to be out of the relationship and this will do it. So, you know, she was helped to be self aware and self engaged that you're kind of panicking here and it's causing you to make a rash decision. Then the question was asked, Well, how do you think he's going to feel and how can you engage him? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, he is my brother in the Lord and he'll probably be very hurt if I do it that way. Yeah, you're right. It's a better way. And then what do you think God is thinking about this situation? He loves you both. You're both his children. He wants you to. To walk in integrity so just by walking through those six steps of relational wisdom totally changed the way she was going to talk to this young man And it turned out to be a great conversation. They had a good time on the missions trip together and they remained respectful friends and colleagues, even though the romantic relationship ended.
0: That is awesome. Almost like a decision making grid, too. It helps you process through the decisions you're making. Very valuable and definitely something I will spend some time looking at when I get off the interview with you today. So looking forward to it. In your new role, you have... A lot of you shared all the responsibilities you have, and it's more than I can comprehend. How do you maintain a healthy rhythm spiritually and emotionally when you have so many pressures and so many responsibilities and things pulling on you? It it seems like it'll probably be all times.
1: Yeah, well, I'm still learning and I don't always succeed at it, Aaron. But one principle I've been practicing, not for all of my ministry, but maybe the last 15 years is practicing the Sabbath. When I first got into ministry, nobody preached about it. Nobody practiced it. We just pushed hard seven days a week, as hard as we could. And the philosophy was burnout, don't rust out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that took me up to a place of a screeching halt of saying, I think God has a different way. (laughs) I learned to follow the Sabbath. And so I work six and rest one. If somebody steals that Sabbath, I move the Sabbath to another day of the week. It doesn't have to be a particular day of the week, but the rhythm of working six and resting one is Not only an Old Testament principle, but it's a New Testament gift from the Lord. It's not legalism. It's not a command. It's actually a gift. God created us and wired us to work six and rest one. And when we do that, we get into the rhythm of our creator and we follow his example. So I try to practice that. The second thing I do, Jim Bradford, my predecessor, is also my ongoing mentor. He's been a tremendous Blessing in my life and helped me with this transition beyond words. And something Jim told me, he said, There's an A bucket, a B bucket, and a C bucket. And there are things you do want to give your attention to, but it goes in the C bucket. It's not a priority. It might not even be your assignment. You just throw it in the C bucket. There are things in the B bucket that you need to get to eventually, but maybe they're not urgent yet. And then in the A bucket, that's where you need to live and give your attention and focus on that. That's so good. that has helped me. I also have used the grid of important but urgent that comes from Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a secular book I read 30 years ago, but it's just full of gold. And he talks about the four quadrants of, of importance. And every once in a while, i get out a piece fold it into fours and start charting out what I'm doing and put them in the four quadrants. They fall into important, urgent, important, not urgent, not urgent, not important, Yeah, that's awesome.
0: And your ministry experience. How do you handle when somebody tries to put their urgent situation on you, and it's not necessarily urgent for you? How do you walk through that? Because I would imagine in the role that you're in now, and it, even as a pastor, you ran into situations like that where people had an urgent situation to them, and they tried to make it an urgent thing for you. How, do you have any wisdom or insight how you walk through those type situations?
1: Yeah. First of all, have my big rocks in the jar first, or otherwise it's going to fill up with get filled up with everybody else's gravel and sand. Yeah. So. When I'm focused on what I have to do, then it's very easy for me to say, oh, gee, I would love to do that, but I've got a recording session with Aaron today and I'm going to have to schedule it for 10 days out. Yeah. If that's not soon enough for you, maybe someone else can help you. Yeah. So if, if you have your own schedule in place first, that helps. And then in order to say no to something that's good, you have to be able to say yes to something that's better. And there are a lot of good things that are going to come at you, especially the longer your ministry and the more access you have to people. A lot of people will reach for you. But if you have a loud best screaming in the background, it's easy to say no to somebody else's good.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And in that process, when you, is there things that you've found that help you navigate that? Because I just know for me, I know those principles, but at times when I'm not necessarily an emotional good place, I can sometimes give in to people's urgencies, which I look back and say, man, I shouldn't have gave in to that. Is there any barriers or things that you've put into place that might help you?
1: Well, if you're a people pleaser, you have to bring that in check. That's a part of being self-aware and self-engaged. I love to help people. And if I can do, favor. I want to do that, but I have to be self-aware that I love to help people. And then I have to be self-engaged to know that if I do that, I'm going to be spent or I'm going to miss the assignment my boss gave me. So That's good. I work for Doug Clay. He's our superintendent and I take assignments from him. Yeah, Someone down the hall wants me to jump in and do something else. It can't trump who I work for and it can't trump my primary assignment, which is general secretary. So yeah. I have to keep that in line.
0: Yeah. is a female leader in the highest level of our organization and church, my understanding is you're the first female leader on the executive committee. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so that's an honor and I'm excited. I'm excited for you and I'm excited for our church for that. How do you see your role in mentoring maybe the other generations so that because you're a pioneer, you've broken ground that's not been broken in the past. How do you see yourself mentoring others, maybe other female leaders and others, so that you continue, that path continues to stay open?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Erin. I'm not only the first female executive leader, I'm also the first single minister, the first left-handed person, wow. <laughs> the first blonde. So, you know, we all get to pick and choose the demographic that stands out to us the most, but... Yeah. I think the best way that I can mentor and help the generation behind me is to model well. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be a good team player with the rest of the executive leadership team here and be a good example of a minister. And the best way we can grow inclusion, whether it's racial or gender or marital status or height or any kind of inclusion that we want to have is by normalizing the person's presence. So Mm. I'm not here as a woman. I'm here as a minister.
0: Yeah, And I'm good.
1: here to tout the advancement of women. I'm here to model the inclusion of women. That's good. And so as you're trying to include women on the mission field, the best... help that you can give is to develop women in leadership so that they qualify in their own right to fill the chair and then to normalize their presence around the leadership table and in decision-making times and to mentor and give opportunity for the marginalized part of your team to qualify, to be able to sit at the table and bring and contribute something to them and then make it normal that they're there. I long for the day when I'm no longer introduced as the first female credentialed woman, but just as a minister who's come to serve.
0: That's good. That's good.
1: As we we normalize the presence, you know, Choco de Jesus is the first Hispanic executive leader, and we're much more diverse around the table of six than we were 10 years ago. That snapshot to students sitting in the classroom, that visual to people that look at the six of us, ought to say more than we ever have to say with our words. And if we can work shoulder to shoulder and bring something to the table, it's not about the reality of what demographic we represent, but that our presence is normalized. Yeah,
0: that's good. And so what steps do you think you shared about that normalizing? Two things. One, you talked about being single. Is there some insights you can provide? You know, I'm a married man. I know I have blind spots. What can I do to help normalize, or I don't know how to phrase the question, but I know I have blind spots. And what are some things I can do to help Bring inclusion at the table. As you said, you don't want to be known as the first female leader necessarily, but you want to make that normalize that. What can I do for females and what can I do for singles? Wisdom and guidance you would have for us.
1: Well, first of all, just that you're asking the question is a huge first step. And, you know, being self aware and self engaged to realize that you are in a world of married male Caucasian that causes you to have to be engaged about what that means to you and what blind spots that creates then be curious about the other person. Ask questions. Don't make preconceived ideas about them. We all assume that single people are lonely or make assumptions about the other group that may or may not be true because every person is an individual. So that's good. others aware and others engage by asking questions and getting to know that person as an individual and not broad brushing them into their category and then normalize their presence. Make it easy for them to be with you without feeling like they're a token or they're an odd person or they're not like one of these things is not like the other.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I do know, I do, I recognize it that I have blind spots. And that's one thing we've tried, we're trying to do in the podcast that it's not just all It's a diverse, inclusive that it's not just Caucasian white male. I'm a Caucasian white married male. I understand that. But I do believe we lose a lot when there's not a diversity and there's not, we don't have different points of view and perspective. I think we just miss so much. And yeah, and I know I have blind spots and I want to grow in those areas. And so thank you for that. And that does help me in the process. How can I know as a leader, if I'm modeling those, the the suggestions you gave to me, how will I know if what I'm doing is? successful? Is there some measurable things or how do I know if I'm successful in modeling that being an inclusive leader and including people and mentoring others towards that direction?
1: You'll know by looking around the table that you lead, if there are other people there that are previously marginalized that now feel welcomed and accepted. That's you know, Doug good. Clay could not He's succeeding at being inclusive of diversity because he's looking around a table of six of six very different people. We have an African-American, a Hispanic yeah. female, a couple yeah. of white guys. And yeah. the Bible says, Aaron, the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Pray. And yeah. what we need to pray about is that all hands on deck are welcome. Yeah. If we eliminate all females, we've shut down. Uh, 52% of our army, because that's the part of our society that's there. If we include them, we've just doubled ourselves. So you're not working by yourself anymore. You've doubled yourself and you've got a partner there. And the reality is in your world, I, I don't know who all your people are, but in your world, you have women that have the spiritual gift of leadership that God has given to them. And that's given to both genders. And if If she is given an opportunity to express that leadership and develop that, she's going to bring something to the team that you would be missing out on if you silence that and push it aside. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like that we're moving forward in that direction and that we're not silencing and pushing it to the side? Maybe we were 30 years ago. Do you feel we're making some progress in that area?
1: I feel the place we're not making progress is at the grassroots level of developing leadership, giving opportunity. And seeing women around our, on our church boards at the local level, on our mission field at the local level, you know, every once in a while, we ring the bell and there's a token that's put in that spot. But on, at the grassroots level, where we've multiplied our army by 100% because of inclusion, I think we're missing it.
0: Hmm. Do you have any further insight on what we could do at the grass levels? Because I'm in Madagascar, I'm leading a team. I would consider my someone at the grassroots, you know, I'm not leading at a high level. And so at the grassroots level, is there some things you see that you think maybe we could help ourselves not be missing it like we are at the present time?
1: Sure. I would say look around and get to know your team members as individuals and not for uh, the demographic they represent, and then draw out their giftedness and then empower them to move forward and step into their next gift. Let me just give you an example. If you have a male on your team, they're naturally inclined, and our culture feeds this, that they're going to continue to push for leadership, climb the ladder raise their hand for the next opportunity because that's the culture we've created and that's a little bit of the DNA in a man. In a woman, for example, she may be golden in resource and so capable. She's going to be more inclined to not raise her hand and volunteer. If a man feels 70% qualified, he'll say, sure, I'll take the job. A woman wants to feel 105% qualified before she'll say, yeah, I'll take that job. So to mentor a woman, you've got to pull a little bit more. You've got to empower you've got to encourage you've got to say i believe you can do this I want to work alongside of you to help you succeed. That's how we mentor women. How we mentor men, just open the door and they'll come on through because that's been the culture for 105 years.
0: That's good. It's good. I was listening to, uh, I think it's Women at Work. It's by the Harvard business review. And they talked about it different places in the work environment, how I think a suggestion a male could make and a female, how it's perceived and how it's totally different taken. It was very much an eye opener for me in a blind spot that I had. And it really did help. It really did help. Moving and changing a little bit of the focus, at this season of your life, and you've moved through the levels of ministry, you're at the highest level, leading at the highest level. What is most important to you right now and the personal work of the Holy Spirit in your ministry and in your life and the importance of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life?
1: Yeah. I feel like the reason I got called to Springfield is to carry the element of prayer. I had the privilege of writing a book that was released last August called Leveling the Praying Field. Yes, And in that book, I kind of share, you know, 45, 50 years of experience in prayer. But the Lord told me when I was pastoring, if you could focus on one thing, model prayer and then teach others to talk to God and hear from God. And if you leave that with the people that you're discipling or pastoring, they'll be able to connect with the creator of the universe, whether they get transferred to Afghanistan or their family moves to Alaska, or they get incarcerated, or they end up in a nursing home, wherever they go in life, if you've helped them to talk to God and hear from God for themselves, you will have given them the best gift that they need that will fuel everything else. So at this point in life, to be a woman of prayer and to help others do the same is my primary focus and what I care about the most. So, for example, here at the national office, we launched 40 days of Seek God for the City. It's a prayer initiative. It's global. It causes us to pray for every country of the world over those 40 days, as well as issues in our city. So the national office embraced that campaign last year, and we're going to launch it again. You can find out about it at a website called waymakers.org. It's a prayer initiative that people are using around the world. And when we come together in prayer, we become spirit-empowered people that reflects the glory of God.
0: That's good. That's good. You mentioned your book and we wanted to get there. Can you just unpack, I know you can't give the whole book away, but at the same time, could you just maybe your favorite chapter, the favorite chapter of the book and just share with the listeners about your favorite chapter?
1: Yeah. What's unique about this book on prayer? Because there's a lot of them out there. The essence of the book is to help people find an on-ramp for prayer, even if they're a fifth grader or 95, even if they're illiterate or have a PhD, to help everyone embrace prayer. And at the end of every chapter is a coach's corner that helps people who are responsible to teach others for prayer. So if you're a missionary and your goal is to teach your country to pray, there are Uh, hints in there. If you're a dad and your goal is to disciple your kiddos, it works for that. So that's kind of the format of the book. And then what's unique about the book is that there's a chapter on glossolalia and using our prayer language. There's a chapter about relational wisdom and how we use relational wisdom to either draw people toward prayer or repel them away from a prayer meeting. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple unique chapters that you're not going to find in your typical book about prayer.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. What do you think, you know, the world we live in, the reality of margin, do we seem to have less and less margin in our lives? I'm speaking, I shouldn't say we, I'll say me. I have less and less margin in my life. I won't put my problems onto other people, but I have less and less margin. And it sometimes it seems like because I have less margin, I try to be more efficient. In the process of being more efficient, my prayer life seems to, I try to make my prayer life more efficient. And that's obviously not the way I need to go. Do you see any other challenges in the centuries the time that we live in that are barriers for people to really engage in prayer.
1: Yeah, what you described makes prayer just one more duty and a sliver of the pie. That's right. When really when really prayer is the thing that helps us manage all the rest of the things that have spilled out into the margin. Yeah. So for the last several years I've scheduled a quarterly prayer retreat where I go out of town for at least two nights and refocus on my goals and spend time in prayer. And I'll always come away from that with a realignment of the priorities, so that I know what I'm doing next is the most important thing to God. So if we don't stop and pray that lack of margin is only going to accelerate. We're just going to go faster and higher and try to be more efficient on everything, including our Bible reading and our prayer. Yeah, yeah. Listen to audio Bible on the fly and yeah. speak as we're climbing the stairs to go visit someone at the hospital and hope that that's going to count. Yeah. But prayer is really about a relationship with Jesus and listening to him on What did I do this week that offended you? What can I do next week that's going to be a highest priority to you? And just kind of having a staff meeting with the creator of our soul so that we're talking and understanding how to do the margin.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I know for me personally, I always tell people I don't send emails after seven o'clock at night because the further I get away from my time with Jesus in the morning, the less Christ-like I am. And So I've regretted a lot of emails I've sent after seven o'clock at night but you're 100% right. It is an intimate relationship. And at the same time, I do feel that there's the pressure there that our culture pushes me towards efficiency. At the same time, spending time with Jesus is probably the most Effective thing I can do in my day, and just learning and walking through that. Normally, we end the podcast with a just a win or something that it just has put wind in your sails or something that you, gives you hope or you're excited about. As you look out into the present and into the future, what's something that just gives you joy in your heart and gives you excitement in any aspect of your life?
1: Oh boy! Well, one might think I would say my book, and I was thrilled and honored to be able to put the book out, and I'm just really thankful for the impact that that could have on a person. But I would probably point to kind of dropping the silos in our fellowship of relationships being forged back and forth. At the general council last August, we were able to advance a resolution that allows people that have been victims of domestic violence to apply for their divorce to be recognized. And the feedback that I got from individuals as a result of that warmed my heart. Hmm. The stories that people told me of what they have lived through and how they've had to manage because there wasn't a provision or recognition for help for them when they've been in domestic violence was very encouraging. And the work we're doing with our mental health care committee that I serve on, that Doug instituted in November of 2018, it's causing missionaries that are on the field to look on the back of their credential card and say, here's a phone number I can call and have a professional counselor pray with me, refer me for some help, maybe tell me about a book. There's a number on the back of my cart and people are beginning to call that more and more because we're working on that product. On the back of the cart also is Right Now Media, which is a free resource to all of our credential holders around the world, including your missionaries, where they can, from the comfort of their own computer, log on and learn about stress or cutting or alcoholism or parenting, marriage challenges. So I'm excited about the nuts and bolts help that's getting out to the grassroots level of our ministers from the national office. And we're feeling a whole lot less siloed here in Springfield, I'm feeling a whole lot less irrelevant to the very customers we hope to serve, and that's our ministers around the world.
0: That's good, and I'll promise this will be the last question. You talked about the counseling and the access to that. You know, I grew up in a somebody's of God Church. My whole life I've been in Somebody's of God, and you know, over the years that has changed. I remember as a kid, you know, if somebody was said they needed, they wanted to talk to a Christian counselor, it was like you know those ooh la la, and there was all this stigma around that. What do you think as leaders we can do to normalize that? That. You talk about normalizing things and normalizing when somebody, it takes great courage to say, I need help and I need to talk with someone. How, what can we do on a grassroots level to make that very clear to people that it takes great courage to reach out? It's not a weakness to reach out and ask for help, but it's actually great courage. What can we do on a grassroots level? A grassroots level, do you think?
1: Share your own experience. I've had a counselor before. I have a counselor on Speed Dial. I'm, I'm not a, I have a life coach on Speed Dial. I need others in my life and I publicly share that. Several of our other team members have publicly shared that as well. So that's the first step. Secondly, commonly talk about it. When a friend in a small group of mine was talking about some stressors, all of us, hey, when are you going to make an appointment to see a counselor? And just normalizing it, you're right. It used to be a thing of, oh, is it really that bad when we would talk about calling Emerge? (laughs) But now I call Emerge on the back of my card for resources or to ask questions about a pastoral counseling case that I have, and we're normalizing it more and more. Robert and Pamela Crosby are the new presidents of Emerge Ministry. They are touring the country and doing the best they can to be accessible. We've got a committee that's working hard to normalize it, called to serve that comes out of my office. We have a counselor writing each time. I would just encourage your missionaries, the spouse, the family, take advantage of that. We're paying for it. It's free to them. Yeah, that's (laughs) good. Use right now media, use Emerge. You can call them for 10 minutes, just to have them pray with you, or you can call them for something more in depth than that. They don't report to the national office. Your credentials are not in jeopardy for that. We're also compiling a database of counselors that are vetted and endorsed around the world so that they will be able to refer somebody close by you. And then also somebody that does counseling, like what we're talking today, Aaron, the electronics. And that works out well for people that are in remote places in Africa.
0: That is awesome. Thank you very much. We appreciate your efforts. We really do. And I appreciate it. Would you just pray, would you consider praying for our audience today that God would use and reach out to them wherever they're at? Maybe they're on the highs of highs, maybe they're on the lows of lows, but the Holy Spirit will touch them and touch them wherever they're at today.
1: Yeah, sure. And Aaron, let me just say thank you for using technology to be in touch with people and bridge the miles. I'm here in Springfield in my office, but I get to speak to your precious missionaries all over Africa. So thanks for what you do. Thank you. Father, we join our faith together around the miles, knowing that you are present everywhere and we thank you for who you are. Father, I pray for each listener right now that you would meet their individual needs because you know them uniquely and you know what they need. Father, we pray that you would raise up this next generation of leaders, whether they are single, married, male, female, regardless the color of their skin or their age. We pray, Lord, that it would be a season of all hands on deck, that every person who has been gifted by your spirit will be encouraged and invited and empowered to use that gift for the glory of God. We call on you, Lord, for family health in each unit. God, that any mental health care issues that are going on, they would bring them to you and also bring them to people helpers available to them to get the coaching that is needed and is available. We pray, Lord, for camaraderie among missionary teams, that friendships and mentoring and proteges will be cared for in units of socializing that will bring glory and honor to you. And we pray most of all that you'd help our prayer life to be strong. Lord, may it not be just dutifully a part of all the other responsibilities we have, or may we not just ask you to bless the work that we're doing, but Lord, give us a warm relationship with the creator of the universe that we would long to be with you, step away from offending you, and call on you for directions, that we would have a staff meeting with the CEO of our lives every morning to allow you to download to us your assignment. We pray, Lord, for increased prayer lives for the adults and the children they lead and the people on the mission field that they lead, may your name be glorified. May we learn to talk to you and hear from you on a regular basis unto a loving relationship that's starting now and continuing into heaven for eternity. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, I knew that their time with Pastor Donna would be interesting. It would be insightful. It'd be valuable for you and also for me. Some key takeaway points that I took from our time, there were many, and we can't go through them all here at the end, but there's many that I took away. One was just her love and desire desire for people to go deeper in prayer and some of the initiatives that she's launching to encourage people to that end. And that kind of goes in line with her book, um, Leveling the Praying Field and the strategic nature of that book too, that it's not just a book and her writing, but some specific activities that she outlines in that I thought was valuable. The other thing, as I mentioned in the intro, was also the way that she's looking to normalize diversity within our denomination and also on the local level. She pointed that out that, you know, a lot of times we're seeing it on the executive level but what's going on in the local level. And I think she gave us some valuable insight on what that can look like. Maybe that's on our teams in Africa, maybe that's in a business, maybe that wherever you're at, what does it look like to have a diversified team and have those different perspectives pointing in and speaking into situations? I um, also found it very valuable when she began to just talk about some certain things that she puts in place in her life and how she prioritizes the Sabbath, how she marks that off. That was very interesting. And then the last thing was when she began to talk about singles, some of the preconceived ideas that we have about singles. And it really made me realize that I do have some blind spots some some areas that I need to recognize and work on and to dig a little deeper so that I can better understand it. And so anyway, very, very interesting interview. And we want to thank her for her time with us and taking some time out. She's got a full schedule, but she was willing to invest in us and spend some time with us on the podcast. So we're thankful for you, Pastor Donham, and thank you for your time with us on the Clarity Podcast. Just want to take a few minutes to once again, thank our sponsors for this podcast, agwmafrica.org, agwmafrica.org for an increasingly and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. And by Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, cosmetic, and skin cancer screenings and treatments at Appalachian Spring Dermatology and what they provide. Sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com, wvderm.com. and by Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland. Caring for each person, connecting each story, and celebrating each miracle. Next episode will be episode number eight and we will be sitting down with Pastor Arnold Bracey from Cornerstone Church. I think you will find our time with him to be invaluable, insightful. His story is an amazing story and you're not going to want to miss our time with Pastor Arnold. He's a great guy and I love spending time with him and uh, his smile. He's contagious. He's a man of integrity, deep man of integrity and a principled man. And he's got a beautiful family and great story. So until next time, providing clarity in life and mission, the Clarity Podcast. Thanks again.